K.T. Sim writes several years ago, SARS in 2003, bird or avian flu, the H5N1 virus in 2004 and 2006, and the H1N1 or swine flu in 2009. It looks like the world is set for more flu outbreaks and potential pandemics. In 2006, surveys were conducted to determine if healthcare workers would abandon their workplace during the flu pandemic. One survey in Singapore revealed that nearly 26% of the medical professionals felt they should not be forced to care for patients during an outbreak. 30% of German medical personnel stated that it would be acceptable to abandon their workplace. In a U.S. survey, an alarming 50% of healthcare workers said they might bolt from the workplace during a pandemic. Sim goes on to write, while every job has its occupational hazards, no employee wants to die in the course of his or her work. A soldier strives to stay alive in order to carry out his duties. A shepherd will reluctantly die for his sheep, except for the good shepherd, that is. In a few minutes, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together this morning. And as we anticipate that, I'd like for us to think about why Jesus called himself the good shepherd. I want you to go with me to John chapter 10. Would you go there with me this morning? I hope you have your copy of God's Word and you can open it. With us together, John chapter 10. It's often at a time of communion together when we might think of Jesus' sacrifice of himself for sinners, when he was crucified, when he was shedding his blood for our sins. We might think of Jesus as the Lamb of God, that, that Old Testament picture of the Lamb being sacrificed. The Lamb of God, as John the Baptist called Jesus in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We're a little less likely, at a time of worship through communion, to think of Jesus as the Good Shepherd. But we find Jesus called himself that. He called himself this as we open to John chapter 10 this morning, and we begin looking at verse 11. I want you to follow along as I read. We find Jesus calling himself the good shepherd. John chapter 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, why does Jesus call himself the Good Shepherd? Why does Jesus say that? And I asked that question this morning. I want to seek to answer that question this morning from the text before us because I think that to properly worship, to properly worship God as followers of Jesus Christ at the Lord's Supper, whether we worship at the Lord's Supper or whether it's our worship as we sing or our worship even now as we open God's Word, you realize that Looking at the scriptures together should be an act of worship as we submit ourselves to God and what he has said to us. Even as we do those different acts of worship, we practice these different forms of worship. I think to properly worship as followers of Christ, we ought always to be seeking to have a deeper, fuller grasp of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us and what he is doing to be moved afresh, to be challenged anew, to be humbled once again by what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us and has done for us and is doing for us. I think to properly worship, we need to be moved again and again and again and, and humbled again and again so that we rightly see ourselves in light of who God is and who we are so that we would humble ourselves before Him and truly worship Him from the bottom of our hearts. So in our passage, we hear Jesus call himself the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And as soon as we hear that, what image comes to your mind? When you think of a good shepherd, what comes to your mind? You think, you might think of a shepherd who lovingly leads and guides and cares and provides for the sheep that are under his care. You think that way? When you think of a good shepherd, you think of a shepherd that goes out and leads and provides for the sheep, takes them to food, takes them to water, protects them from harm, guides them, keeps them together. That's appropriate. But in this passage, Jesus makes it clear he is far more than that for his sheep. Jesus is much more than a caretaker, a provider, a protector. In this passage, Jesus makes that clear. In fact, Jesus makes that very clear by con- contrasting himself, by showing by contrast how different he is than a good shepherd. He is nothing like the simple shepherd who would go out and lead and care for the sheep and provide for them and give them simple protection. So let's look at the contrast. Let's think about the contrast so that we might know who Jesus is and worship him afresh as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper this morning. What makes Jesus the Good Shepherd? In Jesus' words in verse 11, the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's exactly the point Jesus is making about himself here. The Good Shepherd is not a, a normal shepherd in that the normal shepherd would likely not willingly lay down his life for the sheep. But Jesus is the Good Shepherd that he willingly lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus' deep love for his own sheep, his own people, people the Father gives him. His deep love and care for them 
makes clear that he is the good shepherd. Because he does more than simply care and provide for his own. He does simply does, does more than simply lead them to, to fresh water. He does more than simply lead them to nourishment. He willingly, voluntarily, lays down his life for the sheep. You just heard it in verse 18, as Jesus says just that. Verse 18 says, No one takes it from me. Speaking of his life, no one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now in the day that Jesus was speaking these words, in the day and age when Jesus spoke these words, the people to whom he spoke were very familiar with sheep and shepherding. And for a shepherd to lay down his life for the lives of the sheep would have been a very unusual situation. And we can see that here in the text. Looking at verse 12 again, you see the hired hand. He's not really the shepherd. He's someone hired to do the job of a shepherd, but he's not really the shepherd. He's not really the owner of the sheep. And he certainly won't lay down his life to protect the sheep. If the sheep are attacked or stolen, he won't go so far as to give his life for them. He might do something to try to protect them, but he won't go so far as to give his life. In fact, he'll likely run the other way because he's concerned more about himself. He can find another job, but he's more concerned about his own well-being. But just think of this. Think of the contrast here. By contrast, Jesus is the good shepherd because he isn't thinking of himself. He isn't selfishly thinking of his own interests. There's more evidence of this as we look at verses 14 and 15 again where he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. He knows the needs of those sheep and his charge, those who are his. He knows them. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So here again, Jesus says, he's the good shepherd. This time it's in relation to how he knows his sheep. And how his sheep know him. And I want you to note the comparison here. This passage is is rich with comparisons. This one helps us see what Jesus' knowledge of the sheep is like. Just think of that. That Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He knows those who are his. He knows. It's compared to the knowledge of God the Father to God the Son and the Son to the Father. You might wonder, how well does God the Father know God the Son? Think about this. We're talking about the triune God here. Three in one. They have intimate knowledge of one another. God the Father intimately knows God the Son. They're one. Considering we're speaking of that, it's a powerful reminder of how much Jesus cares for us in His in his knowing us, and his knowledge of us, it's, a, it's an indicator of how much he cares for us, how, how he is concerned for our needs. 
God the Father knows God the Son very well. And the Son knows the Father very well. And the comparison here is, is that is how the Good Shepherd knows the sheep. The comparison here is that Jesus is the Good Shepherd because as well as God the Father and God the Son know one another, so the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep knows the sheep and the sheep know Him. I want you to note here, there's also this change, there's a shift in language here. Jesus uses this changing language when, when before He said in verse 11, look at verse 11 where He says, the Good Shepherd lays down his life. Now he says here in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. God the Son, the good shepherd, cares for his sheep so much that not only does he know them intimately, not only does he know their needs intimately, cares about them so much and he cares about their needs so deeply that he willingly lays down his life for his sheep. And I suggest that this is something that we ought to praise God for. Always. Every time we think of this, we ought to praise God for this wonderful truth. This is something we ought to praise God for as we worship and praise God at communion as we remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for all who believe in Him. This cleansing from sin that's ours through faith in Jesus Christ is incredible because Jesus knows His sheep and He knows our needs. He gave Himself so that we can be cleansed from sin and made new, new creatures in Christ so that we can be forgiven, so that we can live a new life in Christ, so that we can start again as children of God. I wonder if that's something you think of very often. Are you moved afresh by this wonderful truth that God gives you a do-over through Jesus Christ? That He lets you start again through faith in Christ? He lets you begin a new life again? And eternal life begins with your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you were washed and cleansed and made new because of Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. Do you think of that often? I hope you do. I hope that's something you praise God for often. That is a wonderful truth. The Good Shepherd, the Good Shepherd knows you. He knows your needs. And He knew your deepest need. So much so he, he came. Lived on this earth. Lived a sinless life. And then went to the cross. Was taken to the cross. And bore the wrath of God. Poured out on Him. The sinless Son of God. Boring the, the suffering and shame we deserve. For our sins. He took that on Himself. He knows your needs. He knows them so well. He chose to lay down His life to answer the problem of your ultimate need, and that is your, your need for forgiveness of sins because you cannot earn this on your own. You cannot accomplish it on your own. He chose to lay down His life for you to meet your ultimate need. Praise God. That ought to move us afresh as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper today to worship Him and to want to willingly serve Him with 
every day he gives us, with every breath he gives us, to honor him with our lives. I hope that's something you thank and praise God for as you worship him at the Lord's Supper and every other opportunity to worship him, whether it's as you pray or lift a song in praise or as you go to his word and read I hope you all always worship Him with that present in your mind, thinking and remembering of what Jesus has done and accomplished for you and how gracious He is. Because I believe if this is something you often return to as you praise and worship God for His goodness toward you in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, it will change your life. It will change how you live your life. It will change how you trust Him with every other need of your life. Jesus knows your deepest needs, and your deepest of deep needs was your need for forgiveness of sins, and He meets that need, and if He meets that need, will He not meet all others? Now I want you to note that the fact is here, Jesus is the Good Shepherd also means, as seen in verse 16, that Jesus gathers His own. The good shepherd gathers the sheep. Note verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, who are the other sheep that are not of this fold? Well, Jesus is speaking to the Jews in this passage, so we need to understand here that he's speaking of those who are not Jews. And he means there will be believers among the Gentiles. And that should be a reminder to us that the Good Shepherd gathers His own. Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, will gather His own sheep. God has chosen to save people from every nation, from every race and people. And they don't know Him yet, but He knows them. He knows those who are His own. He knows those whom the Father has given Him. Look at what Jesus says in the rest of verse 16. I must bring them also. I must bring them also. Not one who has been given to Jesus by God the Father will be missed. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus knows those whom the Father has given him. Praise God. And when by the power of the Holy Spirit he calls them by name, they will hear his voice, and they will recognize him as Savior. They will recognize him for who he is, and they will believe And they will be forgiven their sins. And they will be saved. And they will be changed. Now that ought to encourage us. That ought to encourage us. As we share the gospel with the people around us, as you seek to live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ in this world in which we live, in this shifting and changing culture in which we live, as you see people who need the, the Lord, who need to be saved from their sins, and they're all around us, this ought to give you confidence and courage and encouragement 
There are people God is calling to himself. And you likely know some of them. We don't know who they are. That is not necessarily for us to know. But we are to go and we are to tell the good news, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Jesus knows those who are His. We cannot and we should not even try to bully anyone into the kingdom. But we had better share the gospel with people we know, people we're getting to know, People we're working with, people in our families as parents, we have a responsibility before God, parents, to to train up our children in the truths of Scripture. To take the truths that God's Word proclaims is to remind them of, of our children of those truths. To instruct them in those truths. We may have grandchildren, we may have nieces and nephews, or even unbelieving parents. You have co-workers. You have neighbors. And God has put you in their life to be a witness. To not only demonstrate the love of Christ by the way that you live, but also to show you, give you opportunities to speak the truth of the gospel into their lives. And to do so with gentleness and respect. As we hear in 1 Peter 3. You see, Jesus knows those who are his own, whom the Father has given him. He knows them. Praise God for that. It wasn't like God said to Jesus, I'm going to give you some sheep, but you're just going to have to go figure out who they are. No, Jesus knows those who are his, and he will call them to himself, and they will know him when he calls them. They will know him as he gathers his own. There will be those who trust in Christ as Lord and Savior because they have been given to Christ by the Father. And this is incredible to me. This ought to encourage you. And this this ought to be a challenge to you as well. It should be a challenge to us as a church. We are strategically located in an incredible place, in an incredible time. I praise God for this. this. This ought to challenge you. And it kind of baffles me sometimes because... I think about who we are sometimes and how foolish we are sometimes and how selfish we are sometimes. But God chooses to use his people to reach those whom the Father has given him. God has chosen to use his children to be messengers, to be ambassadors for Christ. I praise God for where he's put us as a church. What an incredible mission field we have. Do you see that? Do you understand the opportunities that God has given us as a church to be a witness to people in this community? Some of them come through our doors on Sunday. Some of them are driven to us in vans on Wednesday night. Some of of them are brought in parents' cars on Wednesday night or on Sunday morning. But not all of them come that way. You come here. And then we leave this place on a Sunday afternoon. And he 
sends you out as missionaries into this community. Praise God. That's incredible to me that God chooses to use us frail and feeble and fearful people. And sometimes we, we see people who need Christ and we, we just fail to tell them. Because we're afraid. We think that they might resist. You serve a mighty and awesome God. If you're God's child, you've been saved by the good shepherd who is calling his sheep to himself and he has chosen to use you as a messenger. I'm not discounting and I'm not forgetting about the work of the word. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Jesus. And so we're to speak the truth of the gospel. We're to give the truth of the gospel. To share the scriptures. There's nothing more powerful than God's word. Don't think that you even need to create a story of your own. It's a powerful thing to share your testimony. But that's not absolutely necessary. You know what unbelievers need? God's word. Share the scriptures. Because God uses his word. As his people share the word. And guess what? His spirit is also at work. Drawing sinners to himself, opening the eyes of unbelievers to hear the truth of the scriptures and believe in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. Jesus said, when he described the shepherd with the sheep back in verses 3 and 4, those who are his sheep will hear his voice and they will come. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Think of that. The good shepherd goes out and leads. He doesn't drive the sheep. Here in America, we we drive sheep, get on a horse, chase the sheep around. That's not Jesus. Jesus gets on foot and leads. Out front. That's how a real shepherd takes care of you. Because of this wonderful truth, we should rejoice and choose to center our lives on Christ and on what He has accomplished for us. And we should worship God at every celebration of the Lord's Supper. We should worship God every time we have a choice and opportunity to open our mouths and sing. And I love to hear you sing loud. But next time, I want to hear you sing louder. Because you're worshiping an infinite, mighty, and holy, awesome God who deserves to hear you, you're out of tune singing. Some of you are out of tune. <laughs> but God doesn't care. He wants to hear you sing. Because He wants your life to be a living sacrifice. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, in fact, calls sinners to repent of their sin, to turn to faith in Jesus Christ, and then be willing to die. It's an incredible message. Not sure everybody's going to like that message. But that's what Jesus calls us to do. To die to self. To forget about self. To be so concerned with those around us that we rejoice at who God is and, and we tell them about who Jesus is. We share the love of Christ and we go. We take the gospel. We don't wait for people to come to our church. We leave this place and we tell people. And we live Christ in front of them. And we open up doors of opportunity as God is faithful to bring people to us. 
This is a wonderful truth. As we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we open the scriptures and worship God in that way, as we open our mouths and worship God in that way, as we open our wallets and we give to God in that way, that is worship. And each and every time we worship, we ought to be thankful because God has blessed us through the Lord Jesus Christ, His sinless Son, the sacrifice for our sins, the Good Shepherd. He is using people. That is incredible. Again, I just, I'm overwhelmed by that. He chooses to use frail people, his people, his sheep, to be messengers of truth and light, to be messengers of good news, telling the good news. And he uses his word as we take it and use it in the hearts of people as he works by the power of his spirit to open their eyes to see, to hear, to believe in Jesus Christ. Now note also that Jesus is the good shepherd because he is a godly example of humble submission to God. We need to hear this. It's a good thing to rejoice in who God is and worship him for who he is. It's important that we see his godly example of humble submission. God in human flesh. God the Son submitting to God the Father powerful lesson, powerful example for us to follow. We must follow it if we're going to honor and obey God. Look at verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Think about this. Note this verse, that the Father loves the Son because He lays His, down, lays his life down. He lays down His life for his own. And he does so that he may take it up again. And Jesus says, Paul in Romans 4.25 was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus could have kept himself from being crucified. But he willingly submitted to the Father's will and plan to save sinners. Through the sacrifice of his son, he gave himself willingly. And he was delivered up for our trespasses. And he was raised. Resurrection Sunday was last week. And we rejoiced that Jesus was raised. Why? For our justification. This means that when we trust in Christ, God pronounces us righteous. He looks past all of our sins. He's turned his back on our sins. And he says, righteous in Christ. When we trust in his son. Not for anything that we have done. Not for any goodness that he necessarily sees in our lives. It's not like he looked down and said, I see good people in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and I'm going to save them. No, in fact, he looked at people and said, I see Filthy, rotten sinners who desperately need a Savior. I'm sorry if that offends you, but I'm really not sorry. Because God's Word says that. I mean, God's Word calls us. It's hard for us to hear that sometimes, that we're, that we're rotten sinners. But God's Word says that. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. Your trespasses against God, your sins against God makes you a dead man walking. You might have physical life, but you are dead. And dead people can do nothing for themselves. 
So Jesus comes and he gives himself and he is the sacrifice because we can do nothing for ourselves when we're dead. And he becomes a sacrifice for our sins and God pours out his wrath on him. It's just as if God turns his back on his son. Not because he couldn't stand to look, but because he was turning away from his son as he poured out his wrath on him. The wrath we deserve, filthy, rotten sinners. Do you get the picture? And this means we can trust in Christ. Praise God. This ought to drive us to worship God as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning. And every time, and every time we open His Word, and every time we yield before Him in prayer, and every time we open our mouths for worship, and every time we have an opportunity to give, those are acts of worship because of who God is and what He has done. And we've got to come with these reminders fresh in our mind each and every time. We trust in Christ and God pronounces us righteous. How incredible. Not for anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done by submitting to the Father. By being obedient to the Father. By submitting to the Father, going to Calvary to be crucified for our sins. And for this, the Father loves the Son. I want you to note also by implication, the implication is here that Jesus loves the Father. How do we know? Because he humbly submitted himself to the Father's will. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is a clear example in Christ that love to God, love directed to God means obedience to God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Love to God means obedience to God. Because Jesus obediently laid down his life. He obediently obeyed the Father's will. For those the Father has chosen and given Him. He shows us how we ought to obey the Father. That is how we know we love God. When we submit to Him. We will know that we love God when we submit our lives to His authority over us. To his instruction and his word. As we yield to him in prayer, asking for his will to be done on earth, just as his will is accomplished in heaven. You see, we hear this truth throughout God's word that you can't say, I love God. And then go on sinning and sinning and sinning and constant rebellion against God and unrepentant sin. You can't just do that and, and be counted as righteous. You can say you love God, but your actions say something totally different. You cannot live in a constant state of rebellion and unrepentance and disobedience against God. His word says, if you love me, obey me. 
As the Apostle John says, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know God, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. So if you love God, it should be seen in your obedience to God. And Jesus shows us just that by his example. He shows us that that love to God shows itself in obedience to God. Jesus' love for the Father is seen clearly by his obedience to the Father. And I just wonder, I wonder how many of us have family members, have spouses, have children, have grandchildren, have neighbors, have co-workers who can say of us, I know they love God because they obey Him. I can see their obedience. Are you thankful for the Good Shepherd? Do you love God? Do you say you love God? May I challenge you to read God's Word? If you say you love God, read God's Word. Seek to teach it to your family. Nothing would encourage me more than to know that you take these truths that we mine from the depths of God's Word and you turn around and you take them home and you talk about them. Right after you're done talking about how bad a preacher I am, you can start talking about how good God's Word is, okay? God's Word is so precious. Talk about God's Word. Talk about these truths. Make them your own. Share them with others. Read God's Word for yourself. Do you love God? If you would say that I love God, then read God's Word. Read His love letter to you. You would not take a love letter from a lover and cast it aside without reading it. I still have letters my wife wrote when I was away in the Marine Corps. For two years, I was a long way away. And I still have those letters. I've read them in a while because I'm with her all the time. I know she loves me. You have God's love letter to you in His Word. You love God? If you would say yes to that, I challenge you, read it. Read God's Word. Make it your own. Let it take hold of your heart. Let it change you. Start sharing those truths with people you know. Start with the people inside your home. Begin with your neighbors. Begin with your co-workers. I realize we need to be judicious in our workplace. I'm not suggesting you go and become a Bible thumper preacher in your workplace, so to speak. But God will give you opportunities. Ask Him to show you, graciously show you opportunities where you can share the truths that you're learning from His Word. I guarantee you, God will be faithful to give you opportunities. Whether it be with your neighbors, your family, your co-workers. Read the Word. 
teach it to others. Take these truths home with you today. Talk about them. You have a good shepherd. You have the good shepherd if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will enable you in this sometimes difficult task of obedience. God doesn't call us to perfection. But he calls us to seek to be obedient. And to do serious battle with the sin in our lives. Take obedience to God seriously. If your faith is in Christ, you have the good shepherd who laid down his life for you, who knows you, who knows your needs intimately, and he will use you, as you are faithful to him, he will use you as a witness as he calls unbelievers to repentance. How incredible it is that we can gather now at the Lord's Supper to worship God and thank Him that we can come together for this time of communion, the Lord's Supper, and thank God for the Good Shepherd.